Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We want to settle, Father. Um, vacation weekend, holiday weekend, all sorts of things that are happening. Uh, football kicked off. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, what, what we want to do in this moment is to settle. And so by your spirit, would you help us uh, just bring whatever fires in us down to kind of a simmer so that we can uh, hear from you and uh, be with you um, and even be shaped by your word. Some of us come in, Father, and we, we need to hear a word that will sustain us. Some of us come in and need to hear a word that's going to heal us. Some of us need to come in and hear a word that's going to challenge us. Uh, Father, every one of us, though, needs to hear a word that's going to change us. So transform us through your word and by your spirit. Don't let us be the same. Bring clarity and power to bear on us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you so much. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in John 21, John 21, and um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. Uh, you can borrow one if you need to borrow it or just keep it if you need to keep it. I believe it's page 907 uh, if you're using one of those Bibles as well. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up uh, the app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures, sermon notes, and other important info. All right. So today we're going to wrap up this series that we've been doing called Following at a Distance. Some things that had been churning in my heart over the course of the summer, and then I had a sabbatical break, and uh, things uh, kind of clarified for me and solidified for me. So that's the birth of this series, following at a distance. Three different times in the gospel accounts, we see Peter following at a distance. And we talked week one um, about how, uh, when we do that, this is kind of the, the whole uh, uh, statement of the series, that following Jesus at a distance, uh, it, it may, it may be safe. But it is not satisfying. We are designed to walk with him, to be close to him, to be connected to him, to be in proximity to him. And so uh, like NASCAR, we talked about um, drafting there where you just get right up on somebody's bumper and you're, just, you're drawing life and energy from them, so to speak. That's how we are to be with Jesus, that close, that connected. And we're drawing life and energy from him. And week one was really about an invitation to prayer that we would pray big prayers and pray prayers that uh, would allow us to surrender um, to him. And we'll actually close our time here um, uh, right after the sermon with that kind of call again before we go to communion. Um, last week was an invitation to witness that God, uh, as we follow Jesus at a distance, um, we may think that we're being safe, but the truth is, is that the, we, we, it always exposes us. And so uh, the world just has a way of doing that. So um, to, to, follow, to follow Jesus then, not at a distance, but to be up close is an invitation to witness that we would speak um, about our allegiance, about our uh, association with him, our allegiance to him and our association with him, and, and ultimately... Um, we would bear testimony to who God is and what he's done in our lives. And then today, uh, talking uh, for just a few minutes about the invitation to victory. I figured this would be a good one to end on. Anybody up for an invitation to victory? Yes, yes, and yes. So here in John 21, 
Uh, we're going to pick up uh, in verse 15. Now, let me just set the context for just half a second. Uh, John 21 comes after John chapter 20. Is that a revelation to anybody? In John chapter 20 is when we get the resurrection account. So we get the, the idea that Jesus has died in chapter 19 and he has been raised from the dead, chapter 20. And then chapter 21 comes along. And at the beginning of chapter 21, Peter looks at some of his crowd and goes, I'm going fishing. Now, what did he do before he followed Jesus? He was a he was a fisherman, so he's kind of uh, reverting. He's kind of going back to the things that he knows. And you remember from last week, in part, uh, at least in part, some of that is related to his denials of Jesus. Three times he was confronted in the courtyard there, and three times he denied Jesus and the rooster crowed. And Peter, it says, went away and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've wept bitterly uh, even before in your life or maybe even lately. But man, there is a, there's a profound impact upon you. And in, indeed, Peter was like, you know what? I'm just going to go, I'm going to go back to the life that I knew. I'm going to go fishing. So that's the context in which we um, uh, find ourselves. So uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 15. Um, when they had finished, so, so Jesus comes up on the scene. Uh, he says, hey, throw your net over. They haul in this huge load of fish. Peter goes, it's the Lord. And then he puts his clothes on, jumps into the ocean, the lake, and, 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 and swims to the shore, which I'm not, I mean, Peter's never been the smartest guy. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But he puts his clothes on, swims to the, uh, to the shore there, and Jesus had set up a fire. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, so tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Now, previously he had wept bitterly. And now he's grieved uh, because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So let's pause right there. Let's talk about this invitation to victory. Once Peter got out of the following at a distance, safe, maybe, maybe safe, uh, but not satisfying. Once he got out of that mindset, uh, the invitation to victory starts with uh, an invitation to victory over shame. Shame. Peter went away and wept bitterly after his denials. He goes, he reverts back to life pre-Jesus. I'm going fishing. What, what, kind of, what, kind of, um, what, what kind of stuff inside of him drives that kind of response? Well, it's, it's shame. Peter is experiencing shame. And I'll just tell you a couple things here. Uh, first, uh, when it comes to victory over shame, we start not with ourselves, but with Jesus. Jesus is clearly, clearly in pursuit of, of Peter. He's clearly in pursuit. So in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, the angel tells the women who are at the tomb, right? The, the ladies go out to the tomb. They're going to got the spices and that kind of thing. And the angel tells, go tell his disciples and Peter. Specifically, the angel calls Peter's name. Why do you think that is the case? Because Jesus is looking at that angel going, hey, and remind Peter that I've risen from the dead. Yes, go tell the disciples, but specifically remind Peter that I've risen from the dead. Jesus is in pursuit. 
in Luke chapter 24. Um, again, after the account, uh, two guys are walking on a road to Emmaus. Jesus shows up. They have a little encounter there. They go running back to Jerusalem after that encounter, and they find the disciples. And they're like, the Lord is risen. We've seen him. And the other disciples are like, I know. Like, we've seen him, and he appeared to Peter. What, what do we... I mean, Peter keeps showing up in these accounts. Why is that? Because Jesus is clearly in pursuit of Peter. Had he denied him? Yes. Had he messed up? Yes. Was he carrying this this monstrous load of shame? Yes. Um, Did he revert back to his old life pre-Jesus? I'm just going back to what I knew before. Yes. And where does Jesus show up? Dead in the middle of that. That's important today because Jesus is clearly in pursuit of Peter. And you know who else he's clearly in pursuit of? You. Well, I mean, not me because like my stuff is a little bit different than Peter's stuff. Oh, no, no, no. He's in pursuit of you. Not, Not just some of you. All of you, not, not just the you that shows up on social media that looks nice, the real you. Not just the you that other people can see and know about and interact with, but the you that has the deep, dark places that you don't want anybody to interact with. Jesus is clearly in pursuit. And some of you think, that is such amazing news that he would show up on the lake shore and I would, man, if Jesus showed up on my lake shore, I'd put my clothes on and jump into the lake and go swimming as far as fast as I could to get to. Yes. Some of you are like, oh, that's such bad news. Because if Jesus shows up, my house is not in order. And surely he's going to come with a lightning bolt or a, you know, MMA kick. I don't know what he's going to show up with, but he's going to show up with something. I want you to know Jesus is in pursuit of you. And and, and look at what he's trying to bring. He's trying to bring freedom. He desires to set us free. Peter knew this. Deep down inside of him, he spent three years with Jesus. He knew this. Why? Uh, Because otherwise, why would he dive into the water and swim to the shore? Why not just row the boat? Or what? I mean, like, Peter's like, it's the Lord. And then he's like in hot pursuit. Like, I want to, Jesus is coming after me, and I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to be with him. Peter knew this inside of himself. So, so here's the question then when it regards shame. If Jesus desires to set us free and to liberate us from all of this and the weight, that what keeps us shackled then to our shame? That's a question I've been pondering this week, and I think the text actually helps us here. Um, uh, what keeps us shackled to our shame? See if this, any of these ring true for you. Number one, a, a focus on appearances or externals. A, a focus on appearances or externals. Um, Peter uh, could, could have, you know, responded, and see if this is true of any of you. Like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, we're good. Yeah, everybody, everybody, we're good. We're good. Everything's good. Got on my nice shirt. And like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm showing up at the church house when I need to. And when the plate comes by, I put a little something in there. When Frank gets up here and claps, I clap. You know, like, I'm good. I, I bow my head when they say I'm supposed to. I, I'm good. Is there anything going on in your life? No, no. Any prayer requests? No, no, no. Oh, uh, one unspoken one. Thank you so much. And you just leave it at that. A, a focus on externals, a focus on appearances, a focus that says, I just want to make sure that everybody else thinks that I'm okay. You know what Jesus doesn't tolerate is that. Doesn't tolerate it in me. Not going to tolerate it in you. Didn't tolerate it in Peter. Look, look, 
Look at what he does. Three different times. Simon, son of John, do you, what, what's his question? Do you, do you love me? Do you love me? So, so the question that Jesus, I mean, focuses on, that he locks in on, uh, it, it refocuses our attention from this external stuff, from this appearance-oriented life. And he says, hey, this is an issue of what? Not appearances, but of, of love. And the fact that he repeats it, I mean, it really drives home the point. Like, this is important, Peter. Don't miss this. The question is not how you appear in our world, uh, but, but the question is what is going on inside of here? The question is a question of love. It's a question of the heart. And this is where Jesus always goes. He always goes. He doesn't settle for, a, for a, a, a new coat of paint on the outside. He's always renovating us from the inside. And when we talk about um, when we talk about transformation, when we talk about the the, the transformation of your heart, uh, we talk about this a lot around here. But just in case this is a, a, a needed reminder, or maybe even new information, the heart in the Bible is the place where you live from. Like it is the deepest part of the deepest part of you. Jesus goes past all the surface levels, deep dives right into that space, and goes, "This is where we're going to deal with you." And the stuff that's going on inside of you. Peter, do you love me? One of the things that could keep us shackled in our shame is this focus on externals. And Jesus refuses, refuses to let that be the case. He's going after your heart. Oh, well, isn't he after my behavior? If he gets your heart, you know what he gets? Your behavior. Well, in the after my changing in this relationship, if he gets your heart, he can help you change your relationship. Oh, we could just keep going with this, but you get the idea. Like there is a powerful movement of Jesus in Peter's life and in your life. He's in hot pursuit of you and he's not going to settle for anything external. He wants to set you free. Not some sort of fake freedom, but genuine freedom. Secondly, secondly, uh, the, the, what keeps us shackled in our shame could be, could be the voice of condemnation. The voice of condemnation. Um, so Peter, again, he's, this is weighing on him. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going back to, to what I've known. And you can feel the weight in the story of the shame that is on him. And, and uh, he's like, man, I, I'm never, ever, ever going to try to do anything with Jesus or for Jesus. Again, I'm just, I'm done. Like, check my box. I'm turning in my retirement papers. Whatever it needs to be done. Like, I just want to kind of fade off into the distance because of the shame that I'm carrying. Some of you know that feeling. Some of you are like, man, because I did this, there's no way that God could ever use me or do. And so uh, uh, when we talk about the voice of condemnation, there's a really helpful, I think, picture uh, that, that's, that would be good for us to lock in on for just a second. Can we get that picture of that house up? See right there? See the house? Does this look like a place you want to hang out, live, anything like that? Anybody? I should have my laser pointer because if that was the case... I could, I could circle something. But do you see something on the door? Anybody take a guess as to what that is? That's right. It, it says, if you were to zoom in on it, it would be like whatever city this is in. The city of such and such says this property is condemned. It is unfit for use. Some of you think because of whatever has gone on in your life, that 
Somehow, some way, spiritually, someone has come and stuck a, a sticker on your front door, and it says, based upon what the things that, that have gone on in your life, you, you, you are unfit for use or service. You hear the voice of condemnation. Oh, well, God would never forgive me for that. God would never uh, uh, use me after doing that. God would never do what, whatever it is. Some of you live with this picture of your life. I am unfit for use or service. Peter denied Jesus three times in the moment where he should have stood. I mean, right after boasting about it. And and this voice of condemnation can keep you locked up, can keep you shackled up. And for some of you, it's not necessarily something that you've done. For some of you, and I want to be very gentle here, but for some of you, it's something that was done to you. You didn't actually perpetrate it, but it, you were the one who was perpetrated against. And I'm offering to you today that if Jesus can give Peter victory over shame for something that he did, he can also give you victory over shame for something that was done to you. Included in Peter's restoration. Three different times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's a heart issue included though. Three different times. Look in verse 17. I'm sorry, excuse me. At the end of verse 15, let's start there. He says, what? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. And then what? Feed my lambs. Second time he asked him, verse um, 16. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Down in verse 17. Lord, do you love me? Peter's like, ugh. Do you love me? Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three different times, this commission was included in his restoration. I want to tell you that if you are listening to the voice of condemnation in your life, not only has Jesus want to set you free from that shame, but he's going to say, hey, let's get that sticker off the door because nobody gets to say that you're unfit for use or service. Nobody does. I'm the one who's commissioning you. Be free from that. Th- third thing is a, uh, what, what keeps us shackled in our shame. The third thing, you got to focus on appearances, the voice of condemnation, and this theology of debt reduction. I didn't know how else to say this. Debt reduction. Um, uh, this is, you are working on a repayment plan based upon what you think that you can do. Interesting conversation with one of my kids. Uh, the story came up in the news about um, uh, forgiving student loans uh, for those who had served uh, overseas in, in combat and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting thing, you know, but how are they going to pay for that? And we got into the dialogue about that. Well, they have to raise tuition to cover the run. We go through all of this kind of stuff. He goes, ultimately, this is where statement wise. He goes, well, ultimately, somebody has to pay for it, don't they? That's right. Ultimately, somebody has to pay for it. And when it comes to your life and your choices and the sins that you and I have, the truth is, is that ultimately somebody has to pay for it. The, the problem comes when you and I think that somehow, some way, our good deeds or our efforts or whatever are going to balance out the scales, that we are going to be the ones that pay for it. Listen, we are so stuck in spiritual debt and the interest rate is so ridiculously high, there is no way you will ever dig out of that hole. You won't. There's no way for you to balance the scale. 
So this theology of debt reduction, oh, well, I'll just make it a little bit. No, 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 no. This is not how it happens. And so for every time, this is the good news of the gospel. For every time that Peter denied Jesus, Peter, Jesus restored Peter. Three denials in the courtyard. Three moments of restoration. Do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Watch over my sheep. I mean, three different times for every time. Peter picks this up later in his uh, first letter, and he's, he writes this, and he, he, you can hear almost in light of the shame that he felt in that moment, you can hear the joy in this writing. L- l- look at this. This is First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. You were ransomed, it says, um, from the uh, sweet ways. I'm not sure how that happened. From the uh, ways, I'm, bad typing on my part, from the ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but listen, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Can you hear the joy in that? Peter's almost just, oh God, you were ransomed. And man, it wasn't gold or it wasn't silver and it wasn't precious jewels that bought you off, that, that balanced the scales. What was it? It was the precious blood of Jesus. And here's where you and I live sometimes. If we live in this theology of debt reduction, we think that our sins are more vile than Jesus' blood is precious. Not Peter. He knew. Paul would pick this up and he would say it this way. This is in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your, uncirc- in your uh, trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. With Jesus. And then what? Having forgiven us how many? How many? All. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. All of them. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Somebody has to pay. Good news. Jesus paid. And we're going to come to communion shortly, very shortly. And you know what we're going to remember? Jesus paid. We're going to remember that there was a a redemption, a ransom that is ours, not based upon what we could do or how we could balance the scales. We're going to remember that there was a ransom, a redemption that is ours. Because of what Jesus has done. What did he do? Well, he forgave all of our sin. Well, not some of them, all of them. That's good news for me. Good news for Peter. I'm guessing it's probably good news for you too. So, Jesus gives us victory over shame. I just want to pick up on one more theme in this text. John chapter 21. He also gives us victory not only over shame, but victory over suffering. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against the Lord, uh, against uh, him during the supper said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Verse 21, Peter saw him and he said, Jesus, Lord, uh, what about this man? Jesus said, hey, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus gives us not only victory over shame, victory over suffering. I want to say two things very quickly. Number one, following Jesus means that we will suffer. We just will. Folks, listen, we live in a broken world. Anybody experienced that this week? You had a guy, I don't know 
what wires got crossed yesterday in the middle of Odessa area. Right? I mean, but here you've got this enormous tragedy and loss of life. Right? We live in a broken world. Our world is messed up. So because we live in this broken world, you know what we're going to do? We're going to suffer. We just will. But not only do we live in a broken world, but our call as Christians is to look at people in their brokenness and to enter into that brokenness with a sense of light, with a sense of wholeness, with a sense of rightness. And so we will suffer as we enter into other people's suffering too. Not only are we going to suffer because we're in a broken world, but secondly, because we enter into other people's suffering and brokenness, we will suffer alongside of them. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. But not only do we live in a broken world, and not only do we suffer because we are going to, uh, because we as followers of Jesus enter into the brokenness of others, but thirdly, uh, we will be targeted at times because we name the name of Jesus. We, we just will. Paul says to, uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire a godly life, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You follow Jesus, guess what? You suffer. What kind of suffering are we talking about here? Peter, Jesus is, is helpful with Peter. He says, hey, uh, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. And then he describes these kinds of suffering here. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. There will be physical pain. There will be physical pain at points. Um, there will be difficult circumstances. Uh, you will be carried and carry you where you do not want to go. Anybody? Is that ringing true? There'll be humiliation. Another will dress you. And ultimately, there's death. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Church tradition has that Peter was crucified. And as they led him to uh, the cross, he's like, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. Crucify me upside down. Right? Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Um, I just want to pull a couple of verses um, out, out of, again, Peter's letter. I, I think First Peter and Daniel are like two of the most important books for our day and age. And this is three different verses from First Peter. Just, beloved, don't be surprised at the fire. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We ought not be surprised that we suffer. When we follow Jesus, this is part of the deal. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him uh, not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Christian in the first century was used as a derogatory term. Oh, you're one of those. Huh. Yes, I am. Therefore, let those who suffer, don't miss this, according to God's will. There's a whole theology out there that doesn't have room for suffering according to God's will. But the Bible's theology says that there are times when we step into suffering because of the broken world that we're in, because we enter into others' brokenness, or because we are uh, uh, followers of Jesus. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I mean, just over and over throughout Peter's book, you got all these reminders that when we follow Jesus, we will suffer. Now, here's the thing, though. We, we can trust Jesus to lead us through suffering. That, that, that's where the victory comes. 
Not that we suffer, but that we can trust him to lead us through it. As we're following him, as we're right up behind him, drawing life and energy from him, we can trust him to lead us through it. Why? Because he is not unfamiliar with suffering. He absolutely knows what's going on. He knows about suffering. He gets it. He he left heaven, came to earth, lived in this broken place, and ultimately died at the at the hands of its brokenness, taking on all of our our wreckage and carnage uh, that goes along with it, and 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 uh, then ultimately rising again victorious. He knows about suffering. He does, and there will be times when others seem to be getting along better than us, like Peter. Hey Lord, uh, what about this guy? And what does Jesus do? Don't worry about that guy follow me. It's the exact same words, exact same phrase that he used when he called Peter initially. And here he's at the end, he's going, hey, don't worry about the other people. Follow me. There'll be times when there's distractions. There'll be times when others seem to be getting along better. Just follow me. That's what he says. Because our our victory over suffering is following him through it. It's following him through it. And I'll just give you a very brief example. Uh, college football started this, this weekend. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Did your team win? I hope so. Um, and now, here's the thing. Uh, if your football team shows up, um, the band's playing, football team's right now, and there's smoke, and you know, all the things, right, right? And all that kind of stuff. And then the other team shows up and goes, hey, listen, we forfeit. Thanks so much. And then walks off the field. You think to yourself, two things. Number one, that was weird. Number two, it's good to get a win no matter what, right? I mean, it's a win's a win's a win, but, 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 but. The victory of a forfeit is not near as victory, is not near as sweet as the victory, if you will, earned on the field. You with me? Everybody with me on that? In the same way, if Jesus were to just rescue us out of here, off we go, right? There would be a sweetness to that. That's true, that's true, but there was... There's something even sweeter about following Jesus through suffering. The, the forfeiture, if you will, isn't as sweet as, as, as playing the game and winning the victory. I say that because part, part of the victory, and we'll close here, part, part of the victory over suffering is winning in the end. Amen and amen to that. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to set everything right and there won't be any more suffering. Part of the victory over suffering is winning in the end. But part of the victory over suffering is going through hell. And some of you are right now. And coming out with a greater, not not a lesser trust, a greater trust in the love and in the power of God. Some of you are walking through it right now. And the sweetness of the victory that Jesus is leading you to is that the enemy is using all of these kinds of things to, to destroy your faith in the love and in the power of God. And the part of the victory is you get on the other side of suffering and you're like, I trust in the love of God and in the power of God more, not less. What the enemy went to, uh, meant for me, to destroy in me, God has actually used this to grow in me. That's part of the victory. And so, so some of you come today, and man, you're full throttle, and it's, it's rocking. It may be uh, uh, hard for you right now, but you're in. Some of you come today, and you're spiritually either disconnected or distant or dry or whatever, and man, you're struggling. I want to say to you, 
keep walking. If the, the weight of shame is so heavy, keep walking and let Jesus do his restoring work in you. If the weight of suffering is weighing you down and you can't hardly take another, just trust God for the grace to keep walking. And some of you are in here and maybe this is all still strange to you. I just want you to know there's a God who took a rebel denier like Peter and turned him into the earliest spokesman for the church. And if he can do that for Peter, he can transform your life too. Where does this all begin for us? It begins where we started this series. It begins with prayer. Some of you come and, and you need to pray that God would help you deal with whatever shame you feel. Some of you come and you go, oh, it's not shame, it's suffering. And I need grace for that. So I'm going to invite us, before we celebrate communion, which we're going to in just a moment, I'm going to invite us just to have a, a, a few moments of reflection where we've done, like the last two weeks, maybe you physically want to kneel like this, but you would get before God with your hands open and maybe your face lifted to heaven and you would say, God, whatever you want, from me, I will gladly give. Some of you need to let him take your shame. You think that you don't have an identity apart from it. You do. <laughs> Some of you need to let, let him uh, help you with that. God, whatever you want from me, I gladly give. And God, whatever you want for me, I will gladly receive.